This time, we're taking a special look at the highly anticipated sequel, A Quiet Place 2. And along the way, we ask, did Emmett and Regan rip off The Last of Us? How did Marcus become so selfish? And what is next for the Abbott family? There's nothing left on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. All right, welcome back. My name is the Creature Feature, Sean Michael Cope, and along with me is one of my friend and co-hosts. I am the survivor, Chris Rupp. And <laughs> the survivor. I feel like you've said that before in one of our movies. <laughs> Maybe. We have so many episodes now in our catalog, it's hard to remember exactly which titles we've granted ourselves. Well, yeah, exactly. That is true. And you know, at least you're being consistent and you're staying positive and optimistic. You know, you're going to survive. Whereas I'm like, oh, I'm a creature. So <laughs> we can see where we stand off on there. Also, folks, I, I didn't say it at the beginning, but welcome. Welcome to Force Fed Sci-Fi. Here's another fantastic episode that Chris and I have been uh, eagerly waiting with uh, we loved A Quiet Place 1. And we've been excited for A Quiet Place 2. Wouldn't you say so? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we were really excited when the first film came up in the list last year, and we had originally discussed doing this film as a bite-sized episode when this sequel was going to come out, and we were so bummed and disappointed that we couldn't see it in theaters last year, obviously. Nobody did anything mm -hmm. fun um, at the onset of the lockdown and the pandemic, but now that things are slowly starting to return to normal. It's nice to be able to go to the theater and have this experience and see this movie. And uh, as always with our more recent releases that we discuss here on the show, this is your spoiler warning for today's episode. So if you haven't seen A Quiet Place <laughs> Part 2, please stop here, go see the movie, or better yet, go back and listen to our previous episode on the first film in the series. Very well put. Very well put. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better than myself, sir. So, Quiet Place 2, as the first one, it has been directed by John Krasinski, the man, and produced by Michael Bay, which is nuts. It was also produced by John Krasinski and written by John Krasinski. It's the same characters, except there's some new ones, Chris, if you want to give us a, uh, give us a recap. Well, there's really... Well, there's really only two new characters, and one is portrayed by Killian Cillian. I never know how to say his name, uh, but I always just say Cillian, Cillian Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, he plays the Emmett, who apparently was some sort of friend of the Abbott family before uh, the onset of this invasion and the world ending. And then we also have uh, Jaiman Hansu, uh, the great, great yeah. Jaiman Hansu. Um, a so red X. So good. I read actually that his role was supposed to be played by Brian Tyree Henry, but he had to drop out, uh, I'm assuming, oh. for uh, commitments to Godzilla versus Kong or the Eternals or something. But I mean, I'm not complaining. Jaiman Hansu is awesome, and Brian Tyree Henry would have been awesome too. Oh, yeah. Both of those guys are great. And I love Hansu because of uh, Blood Diamond. He That's like always the movie that I think of him in when I saw it years ago when it came out, which I would definitely recommend. That would be my uh, non-sci-fi recommendation of the week. Check out Blood Diamond. It's with Leo. This guy, 
fantastic Academy Award winning film or nominated. But he's just he's so great. Every single film that he does. Well, how are you going to forget about Gladiator and Jaiman Hansu's contribution oh. to that film? Well, of course. <laughs> he's been around for so long. I guess for me, that was the film that he came on the map. You know, that, that for me, that I recognized him in uh, was Blood Diamond. I think it's because I always had, like, I always liked Leo. I was like, Leo's great, man. Well, the point being is Jaiman Hansu is great in everything, and... The cast of the first film, they all return. Emily Blunt is back as Evelyn. Millicent Simmons reprises her role as Regan. Noah Jupe is back as Marcus. Uh, we also have another addition of the cast. We have uh, Scoot McNary, kind of a new, uh, kind of like an everyman character actor who's been around in a lot of films recently. Just kind of shows up as uh, the marina man that uh, tries to trap uh, Emma and Regan there during the climax. Yeah. And those guys were kind of creepy. Oh, well, yeah. Anytime you have like silent enemies, human enemies in a film, yeah, they're always creepy. Oh yeah, especially if they kind of look like you know, serial killers or cannibals. That's never a uh, that's never a good sign. No, I, I was joking <laughs> that they they looked like the Manson family still hung around after the nineteen sixties, dude. Oh my God! Yes, we have the same sick brain. That is exactly what I thought when I was sitting in the theaters. I'm like, dude, these guys the Manson family. What is going on here? I'm glad that we 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 think alike with that. <laughs> so let's uh, dive into some uh, pre-production notes real quick. So the budget of the first sure. film, pretty. I mean, it wasn't a decent budget. It was a $20 million budget. But after the first film was a major success, made all kinds of money, Paramount upped the budget here on A Quiet Place Part 2 and gave Krasinski in the neighborhood of $61 million to work with. Now, that gets, you, that gets you a heck of a lot more movie than you could have gotten for $20 million. So, And you see it on screen here. There's more... There's more locations. There's more of the creature effects. There's more of the score from Marco Beltrami. It's everything is just amped up by about a thousand percent here. Thanks to that budget. Yeah. He took everything that we liked from the first film and just gave us more of it, which is why thank you, Paramount for giving more <laughs> of a budget. We appreciate you. Yeah. Paramount investing in great movies is always a good sign. And then I also read up, too, that actually John Krasinski uh, almost didn't return to direct this movie. Really? I wonder why was that? Well, I think he he wanted this. He wanted this to be more of like a, you know, writers and director, new writers and directors could come in with a, each series, with each uh, iteration in the franchise and just make it make it their own. But he pitched them this idea that he had for the sequel and Paramount loved it. So they gave him all kinds of wiggle room. They let him write the screenplay. They let him direct again. And I mean, it's just everything that we said that he could do. I mean, eventually came to pass here. I mean, this is his second outing as a director and it he blew the lid off of it. I know <laughs> it's very rare that you ever, do this right especially a new guy but i i agree he they kudos to them for giving him that trust and kudos to him for coming back with fresh ideas to make this film just so much more 
like give it so much more world building and just creativity kudos kudos we cannot praise it enough no absolutely so let's start getting into the actual like film let's get into the meat potatoes of it so one of the discussions we had when we were talking about the first movie was the theme of it and i think we kind of settled on being family or parenthood as a central theme in the first film so if that was the theme for that for that first film what would you say is the theme here for quiet place part two so the theme for the first one was about parenting the theme for the second one i think is more like focused on the kids for like going and for them evolving taking those chances getting out there not relying on mom and dad anymore and i think we see it with the daughter going out trying to get to the land figuring out you know Oh, I can communicate. You know, if I if I can hook up my earpiece to the to the radio station, we can stop these creatures and then the son like having to take care of the baby while mom goes out and having to defend himself and all that. Um I think this film was much more grounded on the kids taking up the mantle and like them going through the struggles. So definitely that's that was my perspective on it. How about you? Uh, for me, I would have to circle in as loss as the overall theme of the film. And when you really kind of dig into it, everybody in this world has lost something or has experienced loss mm-hmm. in some profound way. I mean, the Abbots have lost little Bo from the first film and Lee as well. Um, Emmett, Silly uh, Murphy's character, he's lost his entire family, his little boys and his wife. And more importantly, from loss it's how we learn to evolve and survive from there they've all learned to adapt somehow i mean i think the abbots were in a better position to survive because because uh, 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 they've they've learned sign language and communicating with reagan um, and you see people adapting to loss in some way Emmett has just closed himself off from everybody he doesn't want to help anybody Mm -hmm. especially when the Abbots show up at uh, the steel mill the foundry wherever they're at Um, but then we also see the island people still carry on in I guess what it's almost like this Garden of Eden type environment where they acknowledge the loss and everything that happened on the mainland but they still maintain this idyllic sense of community on their island Fair enough. Fair enough. There was a lot of, uh, I agree with a lot of that. There was a lot of character growth with these guys. You're absolutely right. With Regan coming and uh, all that. Them changing and it seemed like every single character had to um, change, you know, in a way. They all grew. Well, it's also easier to think to focus on the kids and make them uh, kind of like the entry point into the film because as adult viewers we're able to kind of imprint our own identity and experiences onto those kids and connect with them more so I mean somebody may yeah. gravitate more towards Regan and someone may gravitate more <laughs> towards Marcus and then people just say like oh Evelyn Evelyn's my girl like I'm gonna hang on to her oh yeah even Emmett Emmett's great because his him as a character, I think he he changed the most in the film. As you said, he started off as someone that just didn't want to do anything, didn't want, and then he ends up coming around and literally, effectively, t- 
taking Regan to the island and saving her butt multiple times. And I mean, he was great. It, I loved the line where, you know, she was like, um, you're not our father. You're nothing like our dad. But then he's like, no, you are. <laughs> it's so great. But he ends up becoming the guy that he didn't think that he could be. And he, he ends up doing a great job. Oh, man. When she woke up alone in the train depot and thought he had left her, I was I was about ready to ball my eyes out for that little girl. Yeah, me too. It was so sad. <laughs> oh, man, was that so was great. rough. That was. But, but, that uh, was rough. Know, I, yeah, but, but before, man, speaking of rough, though, I mean, that prologue was rough. The prologue? Oh, my God, yes. So that prologue was amazing because that was something I think that we talked about in the first film of our review where we were curious to see like how everything came to be. And darn it, John Krasinski, you are amazing because not only that prologue make me miss his character, but it also in a way it was just, God, he's such a darn good actor and the filming choices that he made with the camera cinematography, just everything was so great with those characters building great juicy characters, setting everything up for, you know, throughout the film setups and payoffs. I mean, he, he's so good at what he does. I love that prologue. It was so action packed. What did you think of it? I think it was so important for us to see what life was like before these creatures showed up. And by all accounts, this seems like an absolutely normal day. Lee walks into the drugstore and gets his groceries, but everybody is like transfixed to the television, but we don't see why exactly. And then they're going to a Little League game. The town is out. John Krasinski is the weird guy who had to bring oranges for the Little League team. Um, but then the game just stops, and you see that, 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 that flaming object come out from the sky, and then, boom, the creature shows up and starts attacking everybody. But it, it really it puts into perspective this idyllic small town life that was just shattered in an instant on that day. And in this, this yep. whole idea of having a prologue that just absolutely like guts you and sets the tone for the movie. I mean, it's a pattern th that repeated from the first film, but done again in a way that almost makes you forget, Oh wait, the, the first film had this exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It does. It does, but it served its purpose in a different way. It's That's also why I kind of liked this one, too, because by beats and, like, how it was set up, it was very similar to the first film. Well, and it also finally answers where did these creatures come from, and I think it's safe to assume that they came from that floating object that crashed down. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Because I think that without was something that we had discussed in the first film. Like, where did these creatures come from? What's their deal? Mm -hmm. And I think we landed on aliens, but now that question's finally answered. Yes, we know they're aliens or they come from outer space somewhere and they, they came here <laughs> to just like kill everybody with their giant claw hands or whatever. <laughs> would you want to live in that small town? I would, wouldn't mind living in the small town. I wouldn't want to live in this world. I mean, it was fine when they no. were on the farm and they had a routine and now they're out in the world and they're there's more of a danger of being hunted. I would be happy either living in the town pre-creatures or on the farm post-creatures and just having your routine and knowing what to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this town, 
Yeah. I think though, if there was a place that was meant to get hit with your survivor survival, survival, man, your ability to survive. I feel like this could be a great town to live in. If you're like a hunter or some maybe former military or something, um, as opposed to like being in a big city, because I feel like big city would just be over. They kill everyone. Oh yeah, I mean there's sounds that carry further in cities, and cities are just generally noisy places. And like I, I actually drove through Chicago uh, during like the first couple of months of the lockdown, and it was just eerily quiet. Like you could hear a pin drop on some streets. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was it was really surreal. It felt like a ghost town almost during COVID nineteen. It's just weird, man. But now it's open. Um, when we record this on the 16th of June, yeah, Chicago's wide open, man. Mask-free uh, if you've been vaccinated. So yay for that. But um, enough of that. <laughs> talking about <laughs> creatures. Talking about creatures. So how did you feel about this? Because the big thing in the first film was the creatures were almost like Jaws with the shark. Very... They didn't show their ugly face until the end. You really don't get a good side of them. How did you feel about them in this one? Because we see a lot of them, and it's right at the beginning with the prologue and throughout. What did you think? I think it was important to shed off the whole less is more approach because it worked in the first film because nobody really knew what was out there. And now that we got a good look at the creatures at the end of the first film, now we can just kind of shed it off and just have them out in the open we know how to defeat them. They're still very scary. They're still very brutal. They can kill you pretty easily. And I th- it was it was just as scary as having multiple creatures on scene as opposed to just one or two, but then not really knowing where they are. I'm going to absolutely agree with you. And his choice for how he utilized the creatures in this film was still very terrifying. Like you saw in the um, where they're getting chased and then they go into like Emmett's area and you see how the creature is like jumping in. It's literally terrifying because this thing could maul them and kill them when um, Regan's deaf and in the train. And then you see it from her perspective and you see this creature just slowly walking up to her. But she doesn't know she can't see it. She can't hear it. I mean, how he used the creatures in this film was just perfect it was still a very terrifying way that was building suspense it didn't need to be jump scary or you know you were you were still on edge and terrified while watching it because it's like oh my god they could come out at any time but it was just his his format and how he did it was still terrifying in a way where it's like oh no they don't know they can't see it (laughs) so it was kind of it was very nice to see it from that perspective it was still very satisfying to watch almost everybody in this film get a um, get a creature kill. Like Evelyn got yeah. one, Marcus at one point got one, Regan got one, Emmett got one. Everybody, all our main characters get a creature kill in this film. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, they did. I got you're right, <laughs> especially at the end. You're right. They all murdered aliens. So that was kind of cool. Because the first one, you only saw the um, Evelyn kill kill one, I believe. Yeah, she uh, she got one in in the first film, and then we see at the beginning of this one that she managed to get a second one. So, I mean, Evelyn mm-hmm. really showing off her her badass mom skills there. 
Oh, Emily Blunt is just, she's so freaking awesome. <laughs> she's <laughs> such a damn good actress and just a great character in this. I, I love her. She's fantastic. Uh, we also see, get a good look of how these creatures like kill people. It's, we didn't see any of that in the first film. And now here we see them use their, their claw hands or whatever and just mm-hmm. beat the hell out of people or throw them around like rag dolls or you know eat them or claw them up and there were many a times i was watching it and letting loose a curse word or two because a creature full-on slaps somebody 20 feet out of the way yeah well that's what makes them so terrifying i think in this because you can see how powerless people really are against these murder machines I mean, they're sharp, spiky arms that'll just like drive themselves completely through your chest and you're gone. I mean, they just, they're nuts. So it's its scary in a good way. Like he, you know, the first one, like I said, was suspenseful scary where you didn't know when they were going to pop out. But now you have like the whole picture. Oh my God, these things are terrifying because you're so powerless against them. So good stuff, man. So, I mean... I mean, assuming that this film like takes place immediately after the first film, <laughs> were you that surprised to see Marcus kind of become this sort of like lesser version of himself than he was in the first film? Yeah, I was. So I was kind of confused about that because, well, it's just maybe it's because I hadn't seen the first one in so long because I'm like, when did was he this like? dumb because I don't think he was I thought in the first one he was much more of a scaredy cat and it was Regan that was more of the I gotta go I'm gonna put myself in danger oops I'm making mistakes you know I didn't think it was Marcus but it's like in this film he kept making just really poor choices you know (laughs) not listening to his mom and I don't know I took it I took it that's why I'm saying like with this film it really followed the kids and their progression as well as Emmett's because they both almost did like the same thing they both went out didn't listen to mom did their own thing and then ended up coming together at the end and uh each murdering their own alien how about you i mean i was surprised to see him become this this selfish character i mean yeah like you said ignoring his mom walking around in the foundry making all the noise and then oh man the 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 tensest scene in the movie is when they're in the that, that that melting pot or whatever it's called and they're running yeah. out of air, and Marcus keeps hogging the air from his baby brother. Yep. I know. I, I That bothered me. And his little squeal yells. <laughs> I mean, he yeah, just, I mean, I feel I feel so bad for the kid because he's getting a bear trap in the foot um, <gasps> in the first five minutes. So I feel so terrible for the kid. But then, I mean, he is able to redeem himself, and that's why I think that his character is sort of selfished up here in this film because it makes his his redemption at the end of the film where he kills a creature and saves his baby brother and mother like all the more rewarding because his mom gets... The creature scratches his mom. She can't do anything. Mm-hmm. He picks up the gun and then shoots it in the face. Yeah. Much, yes. Much like... Um with Emmett and Regan, the same thing. It was, it was beautiful. It was like poetry, you know, not to quote George Lucas. It's like poetry. It rhymes, but you know what? Yeah. He did see the full circle for him. It was just a little, I don't know. It was was a little off putting. Maybe, maybe he was selfish. Maybe he was acting out like that because he wanted to be the man of the family. I I don't know, 
But real, like you said, with his foot in the bear trap from the moment on, from the beginning, he just keeps making poor decisions that puts himself and his siblings and his mom at risk. Although I will say he is up and moving around pretty quick after that. I mean, yeah. And they're, <laughs> I mean, and the crazy thing is they're all walking around without shoes. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but Regan's feet are all bloody and torn up when they're trying to walk to the marina. That was like, oh, my God, get her some shoes while you're out there. Yeah, I noticed that with uh, tracks. When you saw her walking on the tracks, like, oh, my God, her feet are bloody as hell. Yeah, they not very safe. I was thinking about that while watching the film. I'm like, dude, what if they like step on rocks and stuff? Like I've walked around barefoot and I hate it. Like, you know, your feet, they have to be so calloused in order to not feel that stuff. I mean, they've been walking on sand for the better part of a year. So their feet are probably like softer than baby pillows. But I think a lot of, a lot of the problems might be solved with the Abbott family. If they all found a pair of shoes for them to wear. You're right. You're right. All right, what what else, Chris? Uh, the island. So, yes, in this movie, The Island, right? People are very skeptical that it's a thing. I was skeptical that The Island, you know, I didn't know what to expect when they got there. But The Island, and it's like people, the inhabitants on it, they were living relatively normal lives. It was almost like a piece of heaven, you know? It was crazy. It was very surreal. What did you think of it? I mean, it certainly looked great. I mean, it looked like an ideal situation to be living on because then we get this um, this sort of backstory from Jaiman Hansu's character that we find out these, these that these creatures cannot swim. It's like, oh, well, why, why don't people like live on boats or live on more islands? Like, I bet Hawaii is like absolutely fine right now or, you know, somewhere else in the middle of the ocean <laughs> is fine. But then just that that, yeah. br- that brief story he has about people being loaded onto ships and everybody's starting to scream and the creatures showing up like oh man i started i started getting chills right then when he when he when he has that story it it was really sad because you're sitting there and you see them on the island and it makes you realize oh the reason why the rest of the people in the town either died or don't know about this island is because they were all murdered the people that didn't make it to the island they're gone and no one else knew about it. So those two, uh, I think he said, what it was 10 ships and only two made it. I mean, it's just, it's like, Oh, so it made me wonder how like the inhabitants felt, you know, on the Island. I, I don't know how much shame would you feel? How much guilt remorse, you know, like, Oh my God, I made it, but the other people didn't. That's kind of, that, that was a really good monologue that he's, when he told that story, it, it gives me chills and goosebumps now thinking about it. I mean, I think that idea of survivor's guilt is something that's that's not really well explored in movies like this. I mean, we saw the briefest uh, glimpse of it in the first film when it, when dealing with Regan's and Lee's relationship. But here we finally get some sort of expression of it from Jaiman Hansu. You see like this glint in his eyes and just this immense sadness that he's able to portray. Like it's almost like he knew yeah. he knew people that were on that dock and weren't able to get to a boat oh and yeah like he definitely feels something he feels some shame or regret or some immense sadness that he couldn't save somebody in that crowd and i i, I was so sad when he gets killed <laughs> i was really bummed out because i really liked his character and it's just ugh, it just sucks because like 
I feel that he felt that in a way where, all right, I'm going to help these guys that came to the island, right? And I'm going to take them. We're going to drive away. We're going to scare off this creature. We're going to go into this one place. But then once he gets there, he's like, oh, my God. But what if it didn't work? My family. I have a family. Poor guy. I mean, but I think it was very human of him. It was very human to be like that because he's not an action hero, right? Action heroes, they're not real. No, and he puts on an absolute master class of of sadness in his face and then yeah like when he when he's killed like i may have let out an audible gasp in the theater just going (gasps) no yeah because you didn't want him to i mean he was just he was such a good guy and he didn't have to do that he could have hidden but oh it just it was really sad i was bummed because i was like man but it but it it was needed too because it helped with emmett's character you know like if the three of them were in that um, radio tower, one of them was surely going to get killed. You know, not all three could be quiet and be able to execute that finish. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of that, that finish, though, I mean, I mean, Emmett looked like he was in pretty serious condition there at the end of the film with Reagan. I mean, do you are you hopeful that Emmett survives and we can see him in another film or the continuation of the series? <laughs> I personally feel like that was a femoral artery cut and his survival, his survival, God bless it. His, his likelihood of surviving that uh, wound is very low because that was a lot of blood that came out. I actually thought he was going to die and I was really bummed out because, you know, but I was ready and I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, he's going to mirror Lee, but I don't know. I think if they make a third one, I feel like they'll bring him back. You know, they it could go either way. Because if he doesn't die, if he dies off screen, it, I think it kind of like ruins his character in a way, the sacrifice that he made. So I think they're going to have him come back. I would hope so. I mean, I, I never for a second um, doubted that Killian Murphy is Emmett. Like that—that that is the great thing about this film. You instantly are able to buy in to these actors in their roles. Like, and it, it helps to have a lot of the cast return from the first film, but you give them new challenges, you give them new arcs, and you never once doubt that these people are who they're supposed to be in this world. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. You never, I didn't, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Although uh, we tell me, Chris. You know, it, yeah, it's go for it. well, I was going to ask you, like, I mean, we've we've kind of heaped praise onto this film pretty heavily. But uh, was there anything that bothered you? Did you have a lens flare, Sean? Um, with this film. No, no, I don't. I don't think I did. Um, You know, outside, I guess some of the jump scares, like on the train where she tries to break into that room and to get the first aid kit. And then, oh, it's a skeleton, you know, a dead person. I mean, some of, like, the little jump scares bothered me, but it wasn't annoying in a way. So I really don't think anything in this movie was really a lens flare. I guess maybe Marcus being annoying (laughs) and kind of selfish. But no, no. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I would have to kind of go back to Emmett and Reagan's relationship. Like, Emmett is aware, or at least knows that she's deaf and yet he keeps 
forgetting like how to communicate with her like she even has that great moment in the film where she she looks at him and goes you have to enunciate (laughs) like dude you like you've known her for a while and you mean to tell me that you don't know how to communicate with her or you didn't pick up like some sign language like in your interactions with her i mean because it looked like he and lee were pretty good friends for a little bit i think he would have taught her taught him something to at least be able to communicate with this oldest child yeah right well apparently not <laughs> but I, I i could see that where that could be annoying oh. well, did do you, you have, have any re- <laughs> do you have any red shirts chris you know, I, I've got one, and it, this it, this happens during the prologue, but I'm going to have to go with Ronnie, the police officer who shows up right there at the beginning, um, and he's, he's talking with Lee, and, and then the creature slams into you know, his cop car, and then we see Ronnie with a shotgun trying to kill one of the creatures while saving Lee and Regan, but then he's killed, and the... He, so yeah, Ronnie. Ronnie is my red shirt here for Quiet Place Part Two. I'll take that. That was that was an epic stand though that he had with that creature at the end. Yeah, like I, I have to think I, he he had to have known that he was gonna die if he did this. Oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, but that man was going down swinging. He did not care. Um, if I had a red shirt, I don't know. I um. I guess my red shirt would be probably the man on the island, you know, um, Honsu. I, I, he was my red shirt where I just felt he was, you know, I was really bummed when he died. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, there's really no one that other that died. I think, I mean, you could say like the kids with the telephone, but I think that would be more of like a lens flare to me because it was just it was like, oh, you deserve to die. You kept your phone on, you know, when you're hiding. <laughs> but no, I don't I don't think I really had a too much of a red shirt. Yeah, I mean, I would have co-signed Jaiman Hansu. But yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie made a pretty valiant last stand there. Yeah, they both, man. Good guys. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's that. What about the legacy of A Quiet Place 2? Because I feel like there's going to be a third one, right? Yeah, they so a sequel has already been greenlit. I don't know if it's going to be a sequel or a spinoff, but it's uh, it's not known if John Krasinski is going to return. He said he's going to produce, but yeah. there's no mention if he will direct another entry in the series. So right now... Uh, Writer-director Jeff Nichols is uh, slated to direct the third installment in this series, and that is set to come out on March 31st, uh, 2023. So kind of chugging along with the the two-year release schedule. So we will will be be getting a third film in the series soon. Okay. Well, that'll be kind of fun. I mean, for the director, I know we've made Mud is a pretty good Matthew McConaughey film so yeah we'll we'll see you know hopefully hopefully he takes it and creates it kind of as his own I mean I hope Krasinski makes a third one you know it'd be nice to know what happens to the family right but we'll see right yeah I mean but I think having a new director and maybe telling a new story you can kind of tell an adjacent story to the Abbott family 
like sort of like what yeah. Star War, like what Star Wars Rogue One did. Like you can tell, a, a, um, you can tell a main saga adjacent film, but you don't have to do something like Solo or whatever. It's like those stories are often the most fun. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll agree with you there. Um, for a Quiet Place Two, the box office right now, as of the sixteenth of June is at $201.3 million against a budget of $61 million. So it is safe to say that this film has made them money. <laughs> it's made them money, uh, but also more importantly, it's kind of rejuvenated the, the box office from 2020, of course, when not a lot of movies were released in theaters. It was definitely one of the worst years on record for really any industry. So it's really kind of, this film has really kind of helped people get uh, get back into the theaters but the theatrical run is pretty short on this film i uh, it's only going to be about 45 days as opposed to the traditional three months or so but the film is going to mm-hmm. be immediately moved to uh the streaming service paramount plus so if you don't have that this isn't a commercial for them if you don't have that sign up for the free <laughs> trial or whatever you want watch quiet place too and then you can be on your way um but me personally, like, and I'm going to go off on a rant here for a moment. Me right. personally, when I saw this in the theaters, you know, I would have thought that, you know, people being out of the theaters for more than a year or so would make people more appreciative of the experience and want to be able to enjoy what they were looking at. Wrong. Wrong. The entire time what? I was in the theater, there were people a couple rows back from me talking, like whispering. And let me tell you something, people. Even if you think you're quiet in a theater, you're not. Get that through your head. You are not quiet. The movie is called A Quiet Place. The expectation is you are quiet. There are people on their phones, checking their messages, talking. Shut up. Be more appreciative of this community experience that we haven't had for over a year. It's even after, in the title. Quiet. <laughs> I really, oh really miss the days where theaters actually enforce the rules of if you're caught talking or on your phone, they ask you to leave. I miss those days so much. And me, uh, I, and now I really, really, really want to start a theater chain where we actually enforce the rules. And we will kick people out and not give you a refund if you're caught talking on if you're caught talking, being disruptive on your phone or better yet, like you make them sign a waiver saying like, I, you know, I won't see this movie and be on my phone. And guess what? Hey, you signed a contract. Bye. What? Oh, that is hilarious. And soapbox off. Oh, that's funny. What? I, I I echo that. It is frustrating. I, I did see this movie twice. And I will say the reason why I saw it twice is, well, it is really good. But I ended up having to leave with the last 10 minutes. So I didn't see. I saw them go into the radio station. And then, they, then I had to bail. I had to take a guy to the airport. But I did see it the second time. But I will tell you this, Chris. When I saw it the second time, the person that I saw it with, they did talk throughout the film 
Oh no! <laughs> I know, and I and I tried. I, I I you know I was like, oh, that's great. You know, let's watch the movie. But they were making comments throughout the first thirty-five minutes, and I was like, oh, maybe we should. You know, let's let's talk about this after. <laughs> oh, but but she is a sweetheart, and so I was like, all right, you know, I I that's okay. But um, I I do understand your. I did feel bad. <laughs> But I do understand where you're coming from, man. It is very annoying, especially when you're trying to get invested. But other I'm than so, that, my experiences like, were great. Well, that's good. I mean, but for me, like, I don't spend $12 on a movie ticket just so I could check my text messages. So there we go. Amen to that. Amen to that. That is, like, one of my things. I put my phone away. I don't check it during movie. I just want to focus in for the next two hours of my life. Like, I'm not there. You know, like, who goes to the movie to, like, talk to people maybe it's just we're so used to streaming you know being in our living rooms we forget when we go to theater it's like you know i don't know but if you're not paying attention in this film there's so much that you can miss especially like just like with the first film there's so much that you can miss if you aren't watching the screen like the movie screen not your phone screen no one cares what's happening on your phone screen Maybe they maybe they like being powerless, you know. Now they can't rewind it. So ooh, <laughs> suspense. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, before we go too far down this tangent of uh, movie theater etiquette, let's uh, let's rate A Quiet Place Part Two. <laughs> okay. So with our unique scale of wouldn't watch, <laughs> would watch, would own, and would go to the movies again or. When it comes out, would host a viewing party. Chris Rupp, what would you rate A Quiet Place 2? You know, I said it at the top of the show. I was eagerly awaiting this film in 2020. And I know you and I were looking forward to even possibly seeing it together and then reviewing it for the show. And like all sequels, like I am, I was skeptical because like you should be skeptical of any sort of sequel that comes out. And I was a afraid that this film wouldn't surpass the original and by my account i think a quiet place part two has surpassed the original on all counts Um, it nails the rules of a sequel it expands the universe introduces new characters answers questions from the first film ups the tension there's more score the cinematography is fantastic this is some of cillian murphy's best work and this is some this is some of the best world building slash horror sci-fi premise that i've seen probably since james cameron's alien so with that being said i would give a quiet place part two my highest rating a wood host a viewing party i love it <clears throat> chris what about you sean you know i'm gonna agree with you man i'm i am without a doubt would host a viewing party <clears throat> without a doubt i saw it twice loved it each time i recommend seeing it twice because then I mean, the first time you're on the edge of your seat, you're on the ride. But the second time you can enjoy the story even more and pick up more of the little setups and payoffs from the first film and this film. So without a doubt, I agree. All the characters were great. They, You're right. It, it followed the rules of a sequel and it was even better in its own regard. You know, the first film was its own certain style, low budget. They worked with what they had and it was incredible. This film, they expanded, 
and it is just great. It's very few times that you ever see in a franchise in a series where the second one is better than the first. And this is it. This is it. it. I recommend it to anyone that wants a good movie. You don't even have to like, even if you don't like scary films, it's not, it's more of a thriller, a suspense than a scary film. So absolutely without a doubt, I'm going to freaking host a viewing party without a doubt. So I love it. And I'm glad we agree. Absolutely. I think we uh, I think we agreed on our rating for a quiet, the first film. So we're kind of continuing that trend here. But hey, they keep making great films in this series. So it's great that we agree. <laughs> exactly. Ah, well, this was fantastic, Chris. I love doing these little, I guess, bite sized Well, it's kind of long now, but it's great reviewing something in the movies, getting a nice fresh take. So I really appreciate this. And thank you, man, for being able to chat about this with me. Oh, of course. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to return to the theaters once again after a long, long layoff. I already have uh, my summer movie list uh, planned out pretty thoroughly, probably through August. So definitely looking forward to being back in the theater once again. Amen to that, brother. And All right, man. Yeah, I was just going to say that's going to wrap it up on this edition of Force Fed Sci-Fi. Uh, we're going to be back to our regularly scheduled programming very soon. We've got Rise of the Planet of the Apes coming out very soon. We're working on that one. Uh, and if you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That really is the best place to do it, and it really helps other people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. 